OPS Orbit, a podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 61. In April, Justin Pettit and I made a trip to New York City to visit the headquarters of DigitalOcean. While we were there, we recorded this podcast with Matt Lair and Armando Migliaccio, two DigitalOcean engineers focused on networking. On to the interview. Welcome to OPS Orbit. Uh, today I'm here with uh, Matt Lair, uh, Armando Miglaccio, and, uh, and my colleague uh, Justin Pettit at uh, DigitalOcean. And uh, we're going to talk about how uh, DigitalOcean does networking and how they use Open vSwitch. So uh, just to uh, start it off, um, Matt, do you want to say a little bit uh, more about yourself and, uh, I, I don't know, uh, your career and maybe how you came to DigitalOcean? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I'm actually fairly new to the networking field. Um, I first came to DO about three and a half years ago, going on about four years. Um, and at first I was a member of our compute team before we officially had a software networking group. Um, but over time, I kind of found myself gravitating towards like the networking area. Um, I gained an interest in like network protocols and kind of making, you know, making systems talk together. So that's kind of how I ended up where I am. And over the past uh, three years or so, I was a founding member of the software network group here at DO, and we've grown to probably about 30 people now, which is really great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun so far and a very interesting learning experience, but I'm still pretty early in my career, so I know I have a lot to learn. Oh, that, that's great. And uh, Armando, I've, I've worked with you before, but uh, what, what took you to uh, uh, DigitalOcean and how did you get here? Yeah, that's right. So I, I've started the DigitalOcean uh, a, couple, a couple of months ago. Um, um, we are obviously former colleagues. I, I, I've been uh, working for a number of um, vendors, uh, Linux distributions, um, and mainly worked on in the, in the cloud networking space for a good portion of the last decade. Uh, OpenStack was an open source project uh, that I was heavily involved in. That is a consumer of Open vSwitch as a... Um, as another open source project, so um, what I what I, I, I was attracted um, to when uh, when looking at DigitalOcean was the the scale at which uh, DigitalOcean operates as a as a cloud service provider, uh, and um, the number of opportunities that revolve around networking. So that that seemed like a good opportunity to jump uh, to jump into and and uh, and see whether we can take it to the next level. So actually, maybe uh, I should jump back just a little. Um, so uh, DigitalOcean is a cloud service provider. What, what distinguishes it in the, uh, the, the large uh, collection of cloud services providers that are out there? Yeah, sure. So at DL, we really pride ourselves on simplicity. Um, we understand that the cloud world out there today has never been more complicated and often um, we find it kind of funny that you know folks will sometimes hire experts for certain cloud platforms to help them manage their infrastructure just because there are so many options and you don't necessarily know what's best for you. Um, so at DO, we really pride ourselves on making things understandable and simple to use. Um, and outside of just the cloud platform, uh, we also offer a community site which has a huge variety of tutorials and all kinds of topics about Linux and open source software and things like that. So often, if you, you know, look up some question on Google, type in you know, Linux, how to configure Apache 2, um, a DO tutorial will usually be one of the top results. So that's a huge point of pride for us and our company, um, and we really think it kind of goes along well with the whole message of you know, simplicity and sharing knowledge. And um, yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds uh, really great. Uh, so uh, I 
I really respect uh, simplicity uh, myself. It's always one of the principles on which I, I design things and, and, and try to implement them. That probably means that uh, when, when you tell me about how the, the DO network uh, infrastructure works, that it, it should be fairly simple. So uh, how, how, do, uh, how does it work? <laughs> Uh, it's 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 been kind of an evolutionary process. Um, I, the thing is with DigitalOcean is that when we we started, um, we were a company that was you know very very small, lean startup, um, and we kind of just exploded in popularity. And this was before my time, um, so things have just kind of grown organically along the way. And uh, as we have grown and achieved critical mass and um, started to compete with some of the bigger players, uh, we've certainly found some limitations in like our our networking setup and everything else. And uh, you know one of the major reasons our group was formed was to uh, give us more flexibility and give us more power. And that's why we came to Open vSwitch in the first place. Um, originally, we used Linux bridges and standard tools like IP tables and EB tables to configure these things. Uh, but over time, um, we just realized it wasn't necessarily flexible enough for the features we wanted to implement and the things we wanted to do. Um, and a lot of our physical network gear at the time didn't have very many capabilities either. Um, and over time, this has gotten better. But you know, it's still it's all an evolutionary process. And uh, we're working very hard to, um, you know, kind of correct some of the decisions that were made in the past, things that may not have turned out ideal. Um, for example, it's it's fairly well known that the DigitalOcean private network would be more accurately described as a shared data center network. Um, so essentially, it is a large layer two um, where all customers uh, with a private interface can talk to each other over that private interface. But like I said, the term private is a little bit of a misnomer there. Um, so that is one of the things that our team is actively working to correct um, in the near future. So the idea there is that the, the private network would move from being just a, a shared segment that just isn't connected to the internet uh, to, to one where there's actually tenant isolation? Precisely, and that's, that's the exact goal. Okay. Uh, so usually when I think of, of evolution, um, I think of that as producing things that, that aren't necessarily simple, that uh, you, you end up with uh, fairly uh, Baroque designs. Uh, so uh, is, is simplicity something that you've actually uh, had to work hard to achieve, or, or do you feel like you know, you've sort of incompletely achieved that? Um, uh, talk a little bit on that, that theme. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly it's, it's a process, um, and what we found is that um, even though we may have lots of different features available, how you actually choose to expose them to the customer is very important. And there are, you know, obviously, you know, tons of clouds out there with lots of different features. Um, but ultimately, like I said, they can be they can be difficult to use. So we do find that it is difficult to kind of create a simple user experience around these things. Um, for example, we you know we may very well have customers out there right now who are relying on this shared uh, layer two data center. Um, private network or you know shared data center network of sorts. Um, so some customers' applications may actually break, even though ultimately we believe that this is the better route for um, for them, for us, for the, the the stability and the growth of our platform. Um, so simplicity has certainly been very difficult to achieve. Uh, we do our best to handle much of the complicated things behind the scenes so that our customers don't really have to worry about it. Um, but ultimately, as we grow, it's it's about maintaining a, a fine balance between the, the feature set that we offer on our platform and the simplicity of it all. Um, so, I mean, no, to me, an, an example of simplicity as, uh, as DigitalOcean strives for is the way, for instance, we're tackling these, um, the conversion of the private shared networking to a true um, multi-tenant aware uh, networking abstraction. And... Whilst we're you know we're going through this process, that 
that transition is going to be um, mostly oblivious. Uh, I mean, customers are going are gonna to be mostly oblivious to that transition, uh, unless, as, as uh, Matt mentioned, uh, they're sort of like leveraging that um, uh, worth into, into the networking design by talking to um, other customers' workload on that private share network. And that there is an awful lot of thought put into... Uh, that seamless transition to ensure that, again, the majority of our customers do not get impacted by that. Um, and to, to me, again, as, as, a, as, a, as a person who always started recently, um, I was very impressed with the level of um, iterations that went into making sure that that was actually a key core tenet of this journey towards virtual private networking. Okay, so uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, DigitalOcean and and what you do and and sort of your your principles. Uh, so how how does uh, Open vSwitch uh, come into the picture? You said you started with the Linux bridge. Uh, what was the uh, what was the impetus at the time to start using Open vSwitch? Uh, and and uh, how how did you uh, start start using it? So our original Perl code base was written in a certain way that made it kind of difficult to extend and difficult to work on. And it obviously it was. Um, Perhaps not, obviously. I was very heavily tied to things like Linux bridges and some of the abstractions on um, Linux, you know, the standard Linux features. Um, but as time came on, or as time went on, we, we started to realize that certain things in that architecture would not necessarily scale appropriately. So some of the engineers at the time took the chance to essentially do a partial rewrite of that legacy Perl code base. And what they realized is that, you know, while they're doing that, there was a good opportunity to give us more flexibility with our virtual networking by moving to something like Open vSwitch. Um, I personally had never heard of OBS before working at DO, but I can certainly understand why um, that would have made sense. So that conversion process began in 2014. So we've been using OBS at DO for about four years now, um, and the entire fleet was converted over to be Open vSwitch backed around late 2015. Um, But ultimately, OBS just gave us more flexibility. The the fact that OpenFlow is incredibly powerful and enables us to implement features like floating IP and cloud firewall and the truly private private network and various things like that, as well as giving us the flexibility to add more primitives to our platform as time goes on, um, it really led to us really uh, being very happy with Open vSwitch as a whole. Based on some of the conversations that, that we've had, the uh, the architecture that you've that you've used um, Open vSwitch is different than I th- imagine a lot of people thinking about how to do SDN and uh, and um, and use Open vSwitch. Um, so, like, whereas the, sort of the canonical model is to do uh, have a central controller and program it, you're using a, a, a different model. Do you mind talking about that and maybe why you're doing that um, as opposed to using a central controller? Yeah, certainly. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. So as that migration process happened towards Open vSwitch, um, at the time we didn't really have any good way of having kind of a centralized OpenFlow controller infrastructure. Um, this was before my time, but essentially what we did is a lot of our existing logic was written in Perl, and it would essentially shell out to commands things like Versh and uh, QMU and various other things. Um, so we realized that the OVS OFCTL tool was actually pretty powerful, and you could use that to create these fairly simple textual based flows and apply them to Open vSwitch. So some Perl tooling was written around this, and over time, as we continued to grow, there wasn't really a major problem with it, and it just kind of seemed to work pretty well for us. A lot of the way that our eventing systems worked would result in a message getting to a single hypervisor, and at the time, uh, we didn't really need to do a whole lot of orchestration, so to speak. You know, you were more so just plugging an individual uh, droplet or virtual machine in and out of the network. 
So we developed these kind of like shell out based Perl systems. And then as we started as a company to move more towards Go in late 2014, early 15, early 2015, uh, we kind of realized that, you know, Perl had some limitations and especially our, our Perl that we were, our existing Perl code we had, it wasn't easy to test. It wasn't easy to run. It wasn't easy to deploy. Um, so we started moving towards Go. And along the way, we realized that, well, this shell out thing is kind of still working for us. So we started porting some of that tooling to Go. And over time, it's gotten much smarter, and we were able to add appropriate unit tests, take advantage of newer features in OpenFlow, such as the bundles introduced in 1.4. Um, and finally, we were able to actually open source our tooling uh, late last year. So we have essentially created this kind of DSL on top of the OpenVSwitch tools, where you take these Go structures and plug in a variety of fields. It compiles down to the textual flow format, and you can use an OpenFlow bundle to actually apply all these flows to OpenVSwitch atomically. So the reason we stuck with it for so long is because it just seemed to work really well with our venting systems. Um, we were concerned about the possibility of being able to scale a centralized cluster of controllers, particularly in some of our larger data centers. And ultimately, it just seemed um, to not really be the biggest problem. You know, we, we've had a lot of technical debt as we've grown as a company, and uh, shelling out to open vSwitch was never really the biggest issue for us. So the problem kind of got pushed further and further off, and as our tooling has gotten better, um, you know, now we are starting to evaluate, you know, the possibility of incorporating some kind of controller, but rather than a centralized cluster, we've chose to go to more of a top-down approach where we push all configuration downward from a northbound API through a southbound API, all the way down to individual hypervisors. Yeah, but it's not, I mean, you can definitely speak uh, more to that, but it's not like other, other centralized SDN-based solutions were not evaluated throughout this growth journey, right? I mean, to my knowledge, um, solutions were looked at. Some of them uh, did not really uh, deliver the scalability promises that that Dio was 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 looking for, and that's that's why again the homegrown um, solution stuck around for as long as it has. I mean, sure, I mean there is always room for improvement, but in reality, yeah, there are trade-offs to take into account when you look at a purely distributed versus a centralized uh, controller solution. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. It was um, I, I was more asking just because this is a large scale, and I, and I think that centralized control actually has a whole raft of problems. And, and in fact, when we designed OVN, we took that into account. So you know, we don't have a central controller that speaks OpenFlow. We use databases, and then we have something that's more locally programming um, OVS. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, it's an interesting discussion to have, which is that you don't have to have a central controller to, you know, to gain a lot of the flexibility that you might get by using something like OpenVSwitch. Right, but I mean, in the end, you still need to have some sort of centralized you know, source of truth that you end up propagating across your endpoints in, in your various regions so that you can perform the reconciliation between desired state and actual state. So how you end up distributing that knowledge, that's the hard part. And uh, I'm not sure if we have cracked that nut just mm -hmm. over yet. Certainly, and it's, it's, all, it's all an evolutionary process. Um, as it turned out, our original droplet eventing systems seemed to work pretty well for getting information that we needed to OVS, so we just kind of leveraged that for a long time. Um, and now we are starting to build more uh, kind of well well planned and well thought out systems, I, I guess, um, to enable us to orchestrate you know multiple virtual machines outside of the confines of our very uh, individual virtual machine driven eventing systems. So there's there's a couple of uh, spectrums that are <clears throat> represented here uh, when it comes to uh, controllers. Uh, one one of those uh, of, uh, spectrums is sort of uh, whether the the control is uh, centralized or distributed. Um, of course, you need centralized information, but uh, you, you have a very uh, d distributed uh, actual control. 
Um, another one of those spectrums is from proactive to, to reactive. In other words, uh, do you just uh, set up the flow tables uh, when packets arrive that uh, would require uh, some sort of action versus do you do it in advance as configuration changes? You're uh, at, at the very uh, proactive end of, of that scale. Have you run into things where uh, you actually want to uh, be able to uh, do things uh, reactively, like, uh, for example, uh, handle individual uh, packets in, in different ways. Um, the, the way that you're doing things now, you don't have a capability to do that. Do you, do you see some situations where you might want to? I immediately don't really see anything that would require us to do more of a reactive approach. Um, the thing is with us being a public cloud provider is you can't necessarily trust any of your customers to necessarily do the correct thing or if they get compromised. Um, so we essentially have a pretty strict set of rules as to what kinds of traffic we allow to actually pass onto our physical network. Um, so at least for in, in our environment where you know we are inherently extremely multi-tenant, uh, we can't trust the virtual machines. We can't trust um, you know the, the customers to necessarily do the right thing or that they're not compromised. Um, so in our case, being the proactive approach, as we've learned over time, has had a lot more advantages for us. Uh, but that being said, I, I would be I would be curious uh, to you know, eventually evaluate reactive solutions for things such as um, I, I understand that the uh, OVN does some very interesting kind of reactive things, or the fact that you can uh, send a packet out to a controller and then resume OpenFlow execution afterward gives you a lot of flexibility, which we don't currently have. So I'd be very curious to pursue those routes. Uh, but for the time being, the proactive approach has actually worked pretty well for us. Okay, yeah, we, we talked yesterday about um, how, for example, a DHCP could, could be implemented in that way. I, I assume that currently you have some other approach for that. Yeah, so the so right now we don't offer DHCP on our platform whatsoever. Uh, we use a program called Cloud Init, and it talks to our metadata service, which is exposed over a link local address. So when the virtual machine comes up, it runs Cloud Init, and essentially configures its IP statically on its own. Um, so we would like to offer things like DHCP on our platform because it gives us a lot more flexibility for the future. Uh, but for the time being, the approaches that we have since we don't have a controller would essentially result in us uh, plugging a service in using something like an OVS internal interface. And these are some of the approaches that we're using. We've used a couple of different ones in the past, um, whether it's an OVS internal interface or exposing a TAP interface directly, plugging it into OVS and sending raw Ethernet frames. Um, we've used both of these approaches in various ways. But it doesn't give us quite the, the, the clean uh, separation that a controller would. Well, one point to take into account when looking at uh, reactive versus proactive is that uh, so far the, um, the, the majority of uh, the offering, the computer offering that DigitalOcean um, provides is around virtual machine workloads. Uh, and that is by, you know, generally. Even though, again, you can you can spin up droplets uh, in, a, in a relatively short amount of time, there is a relatively slow-moving uh, workload. You drop it, you create a VM, you let it run for a while, you may bring it down, and depending on your use case, those are the dynamics involved. Um, when you look at compute workloads that may be a lot more uh, ephemeral, like potential containers, um, the scenario where you may be reacting to those types of uh, uh, more bursty events may come into the picture and may actually present some interesting benefits. Um, so that's something that we probably would would, uh, would want to look at as as again the um, 
compute offering for the DigitalOcean is going to like um, provide um, is going to expand over time. So that seems like a a, a pretty good segue to talking about uh, Open vSwitch scale and performance. Um, since you're you're using OVS at fairly high scale, both in terms of the number of instances of it and the uh, the, the number of, uh, of VMs or droplets uh, per per hypervisor. Um, it, it seems like uh, a DigitalOcean probably has a lot of experience with uh, Open vSwitch uh, performance. Uh, um, have Have you run into situations where it seemed to be a, a bottleneck? Uh, what What What's your experience, and, and uh, where Where should Open vSwitch uh, try to improve these things? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, as far as I can recall, Open vSwitch has almost never been the bottleneck in our case. Um, our original Legacy network designs uh, had a lot of like one gigabit links in places, and those would often end up being the bottleneck, not Open vSwitch itself. Our hypervisor machines are fairly powerful, and they always have had a decent amount of you know crunching power for things like dealing with all these virtual machines. But those network links would really artificially limit us. And as we have improved that situation over time, um, it doesn't. As far as I have, as far as the the work I have done, and I have colleagues who may have more information on this, um, Open vSwitch has never really been the issue for us. And I actually found it fascinating because um, when we've been talking to you guys this week, we've discovered things about our setup and possibly our scale that are very much different than what you would necessarily expect, um, such as some of the data path statistics. Um, but we've actually never really had an issue, a performance issue with Open vSwitch itself. It's always been some other bottleneck, whether it is the, the old legacy network links or our eventing system or uh, various other sources of um, slowness, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I guess one aspect is, you know, what is the bottleneck that you may face when looking at the data path? The other one is uh, your control plane and whether you end up hitting bottlenecks there. And actually, I mean, you may recall that we even encountered an issue with programming Open vSwitch that would allow, that would lead us to um, be unable to perform the operations at the scale that we were needed uh, when programming Open vSwitch. Uh, you may also recall that uh, um, as you were keen providing us with the needed support to address the you know the concern that we were de- dealing with um, when again in, in programming flows into open switch i mean the scale that we were pushing uh, was was pretty high that actually was a great lesson learned for us because we realized that we could have um, we, we ended up like realizing that um, optimizations were due uh, in the way we were uh, orchestrating our um, our pipeline, um, but all in all, it's it, it actually showed us that Open vSwitch is a rock solid uh, virtual switch that, if you know used appropriately, you know it really delivers uh, the performance that you expect even at scale. Wow, thank you. Uh, I wasn't expecting this to turn into like a sales call, but uh, you, you can uh, you can sell Open vSwitch for us anytime. Uh, I, I think what you were talking about there is. Uh, um, and, and excessive memory use in right. uh, OVS Kittle when mm-hmm. trying to add large numbers of flows. I, I think that we uh, uh, did manage to fix that, but it, it sounds like you worked around it in another way. Uh, do you want to? Um, is that true? Do you want to mention that? Yeah, I think the reason why we sort of like worked around it, uh, we were working around the issues because um, the fix ended up being done on master, right? And uh, I'm not sure whether that was backported to the to the version of Open Switch that we rolled out in production. Uh, but again, addressing the concern by rolling out the fix would have created a, a, a deployment 
sort of a headache for us. So a difficult upgrade for you. Exactly. So we thought maybe we can bite the bullet differently and uh, uh, look at how we can rearrange our pipeline so that again we're sort of taking a different headache. And what and Matt can definitely speak more to that. But what we end up doing is leveraging um, one of the um, capabilities that we were not fully aware of, but from Obimis, which is just conjunction uh, matching that would allow us to um, summarize how we were um, collating flows and then uh, use that as a mechanism to program our, our, our data path, which resulted in a lot fewer flows uh, and thus lower, uh, a lower memory footprint when, perform, when, when performing the operation against OFKIDL. Yeah, I found it kind of fascinating. It seems like about every six months we discover some new OVS match or action that has been exactly what we needed. Um, so obviously conjunctive match is the most recent example. Uh, previously when we discovered the cookie field and the fact that you can use a cookie to um, essentially we, we encode information in the 64 bits available and we can use that to delete large swaths of flows using a bit mask. And that was extremely useful for us too. And that's that saved us a lot of headache over time. So it, it seems to us that Every time we run into some kind of scaling problem, if we just read the documentation a little more carefully, we manage to find something that is at least workable with what we have without necessarily resulting in a mass upgrade or deployment, a redeployment of OpenV switch. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, well, one is just that you know OpenFlow has been around for a while and it has solutions to lots of problems. And I think the other one is that um, you're you're implementing a, a network virtualization solution, and it's probably at least the fourth or fifth uh, network virtualization solution implemented on top of OpenVSwitch. So naturally, there's uh, some, some things that are common to all of them. No, what I was going to say is that whilst it's great to get to know more and more about OpenVSwitch, at the same time, I, there's also a part of me who, who feels spoiled by the flexibility that OpenVSwitch provides. And as we've also evaluated the hardware-based solutions that are like SDN uh, enabled, allow me the you know the uh, the fluffy word. Uh, we encountered situations where, yeah, those platforms are not as flexible and uh, and um, so versatile as Open Vswitch is. So we're sort of spoiled, and we put, we put ourselves into a situation where we can't really live without Open Vswitch. So how's the sales pitch going? <laughs> Uh, it sound, sounds pretty good to, to, to me. Uh, now now we just need to have some hardware product that uh, has uh, all the speed of hardware and all the flexibility of Open vSwitch. Uh, I, I, I don't know when that's coming. but uh, I'll be first in line. For yeah, there you go. <laughs> Over the last uh, year or so, and especially since the OVS conference, uh, uh, we, we've been uh, uh, trying to add in some uh, some features to Open vSwitch that uh, sort of better suit the sorts of things that, that you've hit, like... Uh, uh, names for tables, um, and I, I think our support for, for port names uh, should also be something uh, pretty useful to you. But on the other hand, it, it seems like uh, you haven't been able to, uh, to, to upgrade to the versions that, that add these sorts of things. So uh, what, I mean, what, what's your upgrade strategy for, for OpenVSwitch? How, how do you see uh, uh, getting access to the, these new things uh, over time? I think it, it kind of comes down to um, the, the point where you decide the how how worth it is to moving to a new version to gain access to new features versus uh, the fact that we are familiar and we are, we have stability with our current versions and there's always this this battle of wits between you know engineers wanting to take advantage of the latest features and uh, you know folks you know our our support folks and everyone else wanting our platform to ultimately be as stable as possible right um, so so in our case like historically we have typically done OpenV switch upgrades 
when we wanted to take access of some, we wanted to take advantage of some new feature in Open vSwitch. Uh, particularly, the first one I was part of is in Open vSwitch 2.3. Originally, we wanted to start implementing our floating IP feature, but the connection tracking module was not yet available until I believe OBS 2.5. So we were able to implement floating IP in kind of a stateless way using this concept we call an anchor IP in 2.3. But then when we moved to 2.5, we had the ability to do connection tracking and implement like our cloud firewall feature. So I suppose what I imagine would happen is we're, we're now on uh, 2.7.3, but I, I would be curious if, if something, you know, if we find end up finding something that would be vital for the development of like a new product or a new feature in the 2.8 or 2.9 series or possibly beyond, um, I would anticipate that would typically give us the, the onus to move forward. Uh, but for the time being, we don't really have a well-defined upgrade process. It's mostly just been uh, spurned by you know, uh, stability improvements and just the, the ability to take advantage of new features and newer versions of Open vSwitch. For, I guess, a few categories of the software on your systems, uh, they're upgrading them is probably riskier than, than others. Like uh, if you're trying to install a new version of the host kernel, uh, if you're trying to install a new version of Open vSwitch, then you, you risk uh, making it so you can't contact the box at all. Um, does that make it especially uh, difficult or conservative about, about upgrading those? Certainly. And uh, we, we've been looking into, for, for a couple of years now, solutions to kind of decouple OVS particularly from our host networking so that, we, we can, we, that way we can lower the risk in these situations. Um, but it was actually... Kind of a blessing and a curse. I'm, I'm sure most folks are familiar with the Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities. And when we found out about those, we realized we'd have to patch and reboot the entire hypervisor fleet. Um, clearly, our customers were not particularly happy about this, but it gave us the chance to move to a homogenous kernel version, a homogenous version of Open vSwitch, um, and take advantage of some of these newer <laughs> features and abilities. Um, so obviously, while it was a, a, a large amount of pain, it ended up being kind of a good thing in the long run. Do you have an out-of-band management network on your your hypervisor so that if you know something goes wrong with the uh, with the the main network, you can go in through something like the equivalent of a DRAC and, and and fix things up? That that would be the thing that I'd be worried about when I was upgrading all these things. We do have we do have console access, but right now our host networking is very much tied to Open vSwitch, which has been difficult in the past at times, uh, particularly if we run into an issue where, um, for, for example, during the, the out-of-memory issue we, we mentioned earlier, the um, large amount of memory allocation, we ran into a couple of instances where the Open vSwitch bridge would drop all of its flows. And when all of the flows are gone, we lose management networking, which obviously makes things more difficult. And it, it's very, uh, very unpleasant for us and for our customers. So um, that is certainly something we would love to undo in the future. And there are folks who are working on solutions to that problem uh, but that's that's been the case for at least a couple of years now, where we've had the bridge essentially tied very much to our host networking, and we do have, like I said, the the out of band console access um, over a like a serial console, but it's not it's not ideal. What have I forgotten to ask about? What do you want to tell me about uh, DigitalOcean and, and Open vSwitch that that we just haven't gotten to? Uh, yeah, so actually, last year around the time of the OVS conference, we did, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we we released some open source OV, Open vSwitch tools written for Go. Um, and actually, we're continuing to develop those over time, uh, particularly for what we need here at work. But also, we, we think that that could be a great opportunity for us to get more involved with the OVS community. Um, for example, we, we've created a Go OVS DB client, and I understand there are others out there, but we also wanted to give it our our take on that. And you know, we could use that to build things like an OVN client, like a, a, a type safe, 
easy to use OVN client or um, for interacting with the bridge itself and possibly using that to replace some of our shellout utilities for OBS VSCTL. Um, we've also done a little bit of exploration with the, the Netlink, um, generic Netlink kernel data path, like pulling statistics directly off of the data path. And I work on a project called Prometheus, which is a metrics and monitoring system. And I actually started working on a prototype open vSwitch exporter for Prometheus. So I would like to wrap this up and get this deployed, uh, particularly some of the conversations this week have made me very curious about some of the, st- some of the statistics that we now understand better about open vSwitch. So we'd like to get this on our fleet, but we'd also like to open source that so that way other folks are able to integrate this into their environments and gain more insight into their instances of open vSwitch. Yeah, I found it interesting that, that your, your take on, on performance is a, a little bit different from the, uh, the, the other uh, uh, cloud providers that I'd spent a little bit of time with. Um, it, uh, for example, um, uh, one of the cloud providers was very concerned about the uh, amount of CPU time that Open vSwitch user space was uh, uh, was using. So we, we've sort of had this informal uh, policy or, or informal formal goal to make sure that OVS uh, user space, at, when it's not doing much at least, it uses no more than about 5% of a CPU. Um, now, on the other hand, that the last time I worked with them very much was uh, before uh, your, uh, hypervisors had that many cores. So when you've only got you know two or three or four cores, it's probably more important. Um, these days, when you've got I don't know maybe forty cores, it, it's probably not as important if uh, you know OVS happens to be soaking up you know fifty percent of a CPU. Armando, do, do you have any uh, um, uh, sort of uh, things you'd uh, you'd like to talk about that we didn't get to yet? Well, I mean to latch on what Matt said, I, I think the idea of um, Continuing to build community momentum around the Wimby Switch is definitely a positive thing uh, that we would like to contribute to um, when it comes to tooling and potentially even getting into the guts of OVS and OVN. Um, because you know, you've seen over the years that some patterns end up like repeating themselves uh, and you could see uh, things been reinvented, then you don't want that, right? I mean, or if nothing else, I mean, you want to see the wheel being reinvented better and better, so it, it's you know it becomes more more efficient. So definitely, I'd love to figure out a way where we could be um, work work we could be working together towards a, a better um, community led uh, development and uh, and testing of OpenV Switch. So this is something that I would definitely like to explore a little a little more. Um, and I'd say you know k- keep on doing what you guys have been doing. It's been it's been it's been pretty great. Again, OVS is sits in a, uh, sits in a such critical point in our infrastructure. Uh, if you know if it wasn't stable and uh, and robust as it was, I mean, we obviously needed to look at alternatives. So, uh, w- what do you see as uh, <clears throat> uh, the the future of Open vSwitch? Uh, as relevant to DigitalOcean or maybe networking at, at, at DigitalOcean, what, what, do you, what do you see the future bringing uh, in, in this area? I'm extremely excited about the possibility of integrating parts of OVN, uh, particularly the southbound database and the OVN controller into our stack, um, because some of, uh, some of the concepts that we expose right now in our flow sets don't necessarily map cleanly to the OVN northbound uh, side, of the, side of the story, but it does seem like we would be able to leverage an awful lot of the southbound database and the OVN controller to possibly gain access to some of these features and give ourselves new abilities on the platform, uh, even if we don't necessarily choose to expose them to customers, although I'm sure that would certainly be a large part of it as well. Yeah, one, one, one area that we haven't 
one particularly touched on um, is how w we look at OVS as a, um, in in new contexts. Not necessarily like just running on hypervisors, but maybe like on um, network appliances that would help us to address some of the shortcomings that our networking design currently have. Uh, one right now, when you end up creating a droplet on a DigitalOcean portal, you uh, end up getting a public IP address to your droplet. And uh, that has certain implications that we would like to address. The, the networking offering, whilst today has things like firewalls, load balancers, floating IPs, there is a lot more that we want to do uh, and expand around virtual networking and virtual routing and so on and so forth. And exploring ways in which we could take OVS out of, well, um, not out of the hypervisors, but not just on the hypervisors, but look at other areas where we could deploy open switch to address some of these use cases. It's something that we're looking with, you know, with a great deal of interest. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, I'm happy to hear that uh, you're, you're not just using OVS, you're thinking about uh, using it even more, uh, maybe even in, in new contexts. So uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about uh, DigitalOcean, uh, uh, networking, and, and, and so on? Uh, yeah, so first of all, you know, check out our website, digitalocean.com. Well, uh, we definitely would like to be more involved in the, you know, in the various open source communities that revolve around OpenVSwitch. So one way to, um, to know about what DigitalOcean is, it's down to us to, again, advertise, uh, advertise you know, quote-unquote, uh, at OpenV Switch conferences, for instance, what we you know what we've been up to and, and so on and so forth. At the same time, there, I, I would imagine there is a blocking section where we share periodically what you know what, what the networking team is uh, is dealing with. And uh, um, yeah, I, my my intention is to make sure that in we become more and more open to how we're using the, the um, open source tools, so that we can we can share the learnings and and see whether you know things can be improved and pushed to the next level is there a a blog or anything uh, where uh, a digitalocean might be be talking about uh, some of these things yeah so the primary the primary website i believe is blog.digitalocean.com i know i have written a few articles on there about some of our uses of open source software and things like that and i know our uh, physical network team has talked about some of our network infrastructure where we were where we want to go um, and I'm certain in the future that as we continue to, um, you know, work through tech debt and release new features and things like that, that we will continue to talk about these things because ultimately um, it's, it's great if you do it and you solve these problems, but sharing that knowledge with others I find is extremely important. Um, it gives you, you know, more, more credibility in the community. Um, it's, it's just very, that, that, tra that level of transparency is very refreshing and I think it's important to share some of the, you know, the, the choices and the mistakes and the missteps and, that we've made uh, because ultimately it helps everybody get better and learn from that. Uh, that's great. Um, and uh, one more resource that I can think of is that uh, you gave a talk at the OVSCon uh, last year, and that talk is uh, recorded and available on the uh, Open vSwitch uh, website, and I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org 
or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.